The second point that I want to point out is that, is that temptation distorts our spiritual vision. This is a, a theme that I'm, I'm going to keep coming back to throughout this uh, three weeks on temptation, is the, the role that spiritual vision plays in temptation. I really do think of it as a kind of perceptual experience, right? We, we, we see something, we see some idea, some thought, we see some impulse or uh, some object uh, of desire as attractive in temptation, right? It's sort of presented to us in, a, uh, in an attractive way, in a beautiful way even, uh, maybe in a good way. We looked at Jesus' temptations in the desert last week and talked about how, you know, the devil didn't come to Jesus and say, hey, you ought to sin against your heavenly father. Uh, no, what he said was, here, prove that Scripture's true, <laughs> right? This is supposed to be a good thing, right? Look, here's an opportunity for you to show that uh, God's Word is true. Um, fulfill some prophecy for me, right? Uh, throw yourself off the pinnacle of the temple and, and, and the angels will keep you from stubbing your toe, right? Uh, uh, these kinds of things, right? I mean, it sort of makes, makes it beautiful. Same thing uh, in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, right? Uh, Satan comes to Eve and says, Look, did God really say that you couldn't eat this? I mean, what he said was, maybe, you know, you shouldn't eat it, but you're going to get knowledge of good and evil. It's going to be a good thing if you eat of this apple, right? God's trying to keep something good from you, right? And how could it be wrong if it feels so right? right? This, is, this is the way that temptation comes to us. Um, and so, uh, so focusing on that, then... Uh, We talked a little bit about how we can overcome temptation. And as I mentioned, um, there are certain practices that we can engage in. Um, accountability, partners, these kinds of things. Having people keep us accountable, right? Um, look, uh, there are uh, ways to keep yourself from temptation, right? I mean, here's, here's one way. One way is if you really want to um, uh, not snack out of the refrigerator, just lock the thing up, right? I mean... Just keep it locked up or don't put any food in it, right? I mean, this is one way to keep yourself from, uh, uh, from the temptation of snacking at midnight. Um, but, uh, but what I want to focus on is something that goes a little bit deeper psychologically. I want to I focus on something, uh, I want to focus on these strengths, which I think are ways to um, actually get ourselves to overcome not just the behaviors of temptation, but also um, the, the impulses, right? The emotions that give rise to um, uh, temptations, the desires that give rise to temptation, right? Um, and uh, there are three strengths that we're focusing on, self-control, patience, and perseverance. And um, Robert C. Roberts has written a nice little short book uh, called The Strengths of a Christian, which I think I have a copy of in here. Or maybe I left it at home. <laughs> there it is. Uh, so it's just a little tiny, short book. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a quick, easy read if you wanted to pick it up. Um, much of what I'm going to say this morning is drawn um, in some ways from, from what he says in this little book. And he focuses on these three strengths, and that's what we're going to be focusing on in these three weeks together. The first one that we talked about last week is self-control. And I sped through some things at the end of the week, and so I wanted to slow down and, and, and say a bit more about self-control before we move on to thinking about patience this morning. First thing I wanted to say is that self-control is not mere behavior control. So there's one way to keep yourself from doing the thing you're tempted to do, right? You lock up the refrigerator, right, so that you can't get into it after 8 o'clock at night, right, if you're trying to keep yourself from evening snacking, um, 
Uh, but that's not really working on your heart, right? It's not really helping your spiritual vision, right? I mean, um, if, the, if the snacking after 8 o'clock at night really is bad for you in, in one way or another, um, either because you've committed to a diet for, for health reasons or you've committed to a, a, a fast for spiritual reasons, um, it would be good if we could get at the, the heart of the problem, right? It would be good if we could get at the spiritual vision that's being distorted, Right? Um, and so self-control focuses on altering one's sinful inclinations, one's emotions, one's passions, not, not just one's behavior, right? We, we, we want to not have that impulse that says, hey, I really need to go get a snack right now, or um, hey, I should really, um, I, I'd really like to yell something nasty out the window at that person who just cut me off in traffic, right? I mean, uh, there, you, you can just stop the behavior and... and Oftentimes, that's good, right? I mean, that's the first step. And so uh, I'm not saying that just behavior control is in itself bad, but it's not yet self-control, right? And what we really want is to actually have mastery over ourselves. We really want to get to the point where we don't have those impulses or they're not quite so strong in us anymore, right? Um, Where we're more sort of at peace with ourselves. We're not having to work so hard to keep ourselves from doing the things that we know we ought not do, or saying the things that we know we ought not say, or thinking the things that we ought not to think. And so that's what self control is aimed at Um, it's a strength uh, of of character um, and not just a behavioral disposition. And then there's spiritual self-control. So um, we've talked a little bit about already this morning about um, dieting. And, and oftentimes that's where people's minds go immediately when they start thinking about self-control. They start thinking about the practice of dieting. Right? You need self-control to keep yourself from eating the things that you've decided are not bad for you. Um, but that's not yet really a spiritual strength. It's not really a strength of, of the Christian per se. Right? I mean, that's just something that would be good to help you with anything. Right? And in a way, all of these strengths are strengths of human beings generally, right? Um, but they can be put to good or bad use, right? I mean, if you're going to be a very good thief, you probably need a good bit of self-control and patience and perseverance, right? Um, you need some of that if you're going to be very good at doing bad things too, right? Um, and so self-control is a muscle that we can put to work, right, so to, to, to engage in a kind of self-mastery, but if we really want it to be a spiritual strength, self-control is not just practiced for any purpose, for example, losing weight, that's not exactly spiritual self-control. Um, doesn't mean it's bad self-control, it just means it's not yet a, a spiritual strength. Um, but we might e- exercise a s- a spiritual self-control for the purpose of spiritual growth and health. So, for example, you might um, change the way that you eat for spiritual reasons, trying to learn to eat more gratefully instead of greedily, recognizing that God faithfully provides our daily bread, right? Um, that all food is manna from heaven, right? And not, not eat as though we're trying to store up wealth for ourselves, right? Or eat in order to comfort ourselves, but eat in such a way that we recognize that God is being the provider of all that we have. Um, and be grateful not only to God, but to the, to the other people, the farmers, uh, the people who made the food, uh, the people who are helping us and on whom we depend for our very sustenance. It's easy to forget that when we can just go to the grocery store and spend our money and buy whatever we want, right? That's already prepackaged, right? That somebody had to actually raise the chickens and somebody had to deliver the eggs to the store, right? And they didn't just magically appear there in their cartons. And somebody did some hard work here and we're depending on them, right, uh, for our sustenance. And I think part of eating gratefully is learning to recognize that. Yeah, Kim, did you have a question? 
Yeah. Good. Yeah, good. Yeah, so uh, in case you didn't hear it, Kim's question was, um, you know, it, it looks like the way that I've put some of this here, it sounds like maybe we can just do away with the role of the Holy Spirit. Maybe we can just get rid of our sinful nature by just working hard enough at it, right? If we just know enough about um, uh, our, our, our spiritual selves, if we just know enough about um, psychology or philosophy, right, we can just sort of figure this stuff out and... Um, and we don't really need the Holy Spirit anymore. That is something that um, I, I think we need to be very careful about um, when, we're, when we're talking about these things. And I said, I said something to this effect last week, and this is a good opportunity for me to say something about it this week, is, is um, yeah, I don't intend any of this to suggest that we don't need to rely on God uh, deeply throughout this entire process, that we don't need to rely on the Holy Spirit, um, uh, and that we can't do this on our own, uh, that we are disposed to have sinful desires, to have sinful inclinations, and that we probably will never in this life be able to rid ourselves of those. Um, But I also think it's important for us to think about what we can do. So we looked at um, uh, the passage from Corinthians last time where where Paul says that that God has not tempted us um, beyond what we can bear, right? No temptation has overtaken us beyond what we can bear, but um, with every temptation, God provides a way out, right? <laughs> um, okay, well, part of that way out might be thinking about how we can develop uh, self-control and patience and perseverance, some of these strengths that give us the ability to uh, overcome and, and respond to the temptation, right? Um, one thing we could do is just say, well, God, you promised to provide me a way out, right? And here I've been sort of uh, feeding my sinful habits and my sinful inclinations all this time, but you tell me that if I have a temptation, I'm going to be able to respond to it. And so I just hope that, you know, when that day comes, I'm just going to get zapped with the power to overcome it, right? Um, uh, I, I think that's not the model of spiritual formation uh, that, the, that the, um, the church leaders throughout history, have encouraged, right, or that scripture encourages. Rather, um, you know, Jesus didn't just wander into the desert and say, well, I'm going to go see if I can go through this 40-day fast and the temptations uh, in the desert. Uh, No, he he spent years and years meditating on scripture and in silence and solitude and in prayer, um, preparing for those times when he might be tempted, right, And, and then was able to draw on that strength. Um, when he found himself there. So, uh, so to answer your question, you're right. I, this is, that's a really good qualification, and I, I don't want anybody to think that I'm saying we, we can stop relying on the Holy Spirit. In fact, even in the practice of trying to develop self-control and patience and perseverance, we need to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit to help us go through the practices that would <laughs> help us to develop these strengths. Um, but I do think that we have a role to play, and that by understanding what these strengths are better, um, we might be better... Uh, fitted for the for the task. So I say here uh, that the goal is to improve our spiritual vision by transforming our hearts so that we can learn to see tempting opportunities as they really are. That's really what we want, right? What we want is when we're cut off in traffic and we want to yell something nasty out the window to the person who cut us off. We, what we want is for our spiritual vision to be transformed so that when we get cut off in traffic, we don't immediately see them as the nasty offender who's doing all the bad things to me and getting in my way and uh, causing problems on the road, but we see them as a, a creature of God, right? <laughs> of a child of God who's loved by God and for whom Jesus died. 
And we see ourselves, maybe not as the person who's in, in the best seat to be the moral judge, <laughs> um, but we see ourselves as one who uh, often makes mistakes and sometimes maybe even cuts people off in traffic. <laughs> and, uh, and so we respond with a little bit more gentleness and maybe a little bit more patience and a little bit more understanding and maybe a little bit more self-control. Uh, so that's the aim. Uh, that's, that's really what we're going after. And, uh, and, then, and then we talked about how self-control is, is, is like a muscle. Um, there is some really interesting work in, in recent empirical psychology that, that focuses on the way in which self-control is like a muscle. You can, you can actually strengthen it by practicing it <laughs> um, on a regular basis. And... Um, but it's also like a muscle in that it can be depleted in the moment of use. <laughs> and so we have to be very careful. Or, and it can be depleted in, in a variety of ways. It can be depleted by, putting, by being put to use. It can also be depleted by being hungry. Um, it can be depleted by being uncomfortable. Like if it gets too warm, right, people tend to get a little bit more uh, grumpy and angry. Um, uh, it can be depleted in a variety of ways. We need to be on, on the lookout for those ways in which self-control can be depleted. Uh, but we also need to work on it. And uh, I suggested that Lenten fasts, um, they're one spiritual practice or discipline or exercise that can help strengthen our self-control muscles, help transform our spiritual vision, right? And, and if you're engaging in a Lenten fast right now, you should be thinking, well, how is this fast helping me to actually transform my spiritual vision, right? I mean, am I just keeping myself from chocolate for you know, health reasons? Am I just keeping myself from chocolate because I wanted to do something hard, right? Or, or is there something that, that I'm doing, right? Am I, am I actually, like, transforming my spiritual vision? Am I helping myself to see that I had this, you know, connection to, say, you know, social media? Maybe you gave that up for Lent. Uh, do, do I have this connection to social media that's just hard for me to resist, right? Do I have these impulses to leave the present moment and the people I'm with and check my Facebook status or my Twitter feed um, to see what's going on in the world of social media, right? Do I have impulses that maybe are not so good for me, right, that I, that I need to gain some mastery over for the sake of loving God better and loving my neighbor uh, better? Um, I think that this is something that we can put, uh, we can learn how to put self-control to use by engaging in these Lenten fasts, whether it be a fast from a type of food uh, that we usually eat or a fast from some practice. Um, I think these are ways that we can strengthen our self-control. But now I want to turn our attention um, to patience. Uh, that's That's... Uh, the main topic for today, uh, we're, I'm going to say some things about patience, and then, as I said, I'll open it up for some, uh, some discussion. So Paul tells us that love is patient. This is the first, um, this first characterization uh, that he gives of love in this famous love passage from 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient, and it is patient, and I want to I help us to focus on the ways in which patience might actually help us to love better. So patience is the ability to dwell gladly in the present moment when we have some desire or what would normally be a reason to desire to depart from it. This is the definition that uh, Bob Roberts uh, gives in this little book. I think this is a really nice definition. We're going to try to unpack this and understand this a little bit. Patience is the ability to dwell gladly in the present moment. Right? Sometimes 
we just don't want to be doing what it is that we find ourselves doing, right? We get impatient. We want to finish the job more quickly. We want to move on to the next thing in our lives, right? We don't really want to be a part of the conversation that we're currently having with someone. We want to rush out of the grocery store, right? We get impatient with the present moment, right? And we don't dwell gladly in it. We get impatient with the traffic, right? Not so much around here, but in Southern California, uh, where I used to drive, uh, people get very impatient with the traffic. Uh, I don't think uh, people who live in Colorado Springs really know what traffic is. Um, and, but, uh, but people get impatient, right? They don't, want, they don't dwell gladly in the present moment. They're always try- thinking about the next thing, right? They're always trying to move on to the next thing. And sometimes it's because they just get bored. Sometimes it's because they're being frustrated. Sometimes because they just don't want to do the hard work anymore. It's just too hard and taxing, right? And they get tired of it. And so they get impatient and want to move on. They want to quit early, Right? Um, this is the sense of, uh, uh, of impatience. And so patience as a strength is a sort of ability to, to just not just dwell in the present moment, not just grit our teeth and bear it, right? but actually dwell gladly in the present moment. Be glad for the present moment that we have. Be glad for the present work that we're doing. Be glad for um, the present stage of life that we're in. Right? You might be a, a parent with small children and just can't wait until those children grow up and stop being so annoying and needing their diapers changed all the time, right? You might be a college student thinking, I just can't wait until that day when I'm not in school anymore, right? I'm so, just so impatient to get to the next thing, right? Uh, you might be uh, in a job where you're just so impatient, you just can't wait for that next promotion, or the next job even, right? I just can't wait until I can find the, the next job that I'm going to get to do after this one, right? And so we get impatient and we don't dwell gladly in the present moment. And so patience is this kind of a strength. And, and, and it, it gives us the ability to do that. Um, he says this, uh, Robert says this about temptation. He says, some people are so impatient that they flip from task to task or from entertainment to entertainment, never doing anything well, or enjoying anything deeply. Patience is a form of self-mastery that enables us to dwell in the present moment, to stay at the present task, to narrow our focus of vision so that our mind is not sundered by every passing impulse to quit the present and fly away. And we often do this with entertainment, right? We get impatient and so we run to the, the next thing that's going to entertain us. And then when that stops entertaining us, we get bored and we run to the next thing that entertains us, right? Um, it's so easy now to do this, right? Because we have, we have gadgets in our pockets that we can carry with us, right? And we can, um, you know, the, the, the world of entertainment has made it so easy for us to always have entertainment ready at our fingertips, right? If, if, if you want to watch ESPN, you can do it now. And you can do it while you're on the subway going to work, right? You don't even have to stay in your home and sit on your couch anymore, to watch ESPN, right? You can take Netflix with you wherever you go. And if you're not going to have Wi-Fi, well, then you can have your own little Wi-Fi hub so that you can get on the internet and have your entertainment ready all of the time. So in case you start to get a little twinge of boredom, (gasps) right, wouldn't that be the worst? Uh, You can turn something on and distract yourselves from the boring present moment that you find yourself in. And this is not good for us. <laughs> this, is, this is not good for us. Um, because patience is a strength that gives us the ability to 
stick with the task, to do things well, and to enjoy things deeply. And it helps us to love, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. So before I do, we need to make this distinction between practiced patience and dispositional patience. So there is a kind of, um, same, same with self-control, there is a kind of, um, there's a kind of, practiced patience and where you sort of you find yourself getting impatient with the present moment and you sort of employ your strength of self-control to say hey I really need to dwell gladly in this present moment and so you remind yourself right and you you go through a practice that says okay maybe maybe I need to just take a moment and breathe and think what's good about my present moment right and so you sort of work yourself into the attitude of patience right Um, but then I mean ideally right ideally The ideal spiritual condition would be to get to the point where you don't have to work yourself into it anymore. You just find yourself not growing impatient with the present moment, not wanting to flee from the hard work that you're doing or from the conversation that you're having or um, from the stage of life that you're in, right? You just find yourself enjoying it, dwelling gladly in it, right? Those, Those people, the saints, right, who are really truly patient, right, we don't see them sort of struggling with themselves to overcome their impatience, right, they just, they just find themselves dwelling gladly in the present moment, right, it, it, it doesn't require kind of hard work, right, that's what um, I want to call following Robert's dispositional patience, right, we're sort of disposed inwardly to patience, right, you're not, you're no longer disposed toward impatience, that's the goal, right, that's where we want to get, right, where we don't, have to struggle, we don't have to work quite so hard to overcome the temptations to flee the present moment, but rather we find ourselves just not being tempted quite so strongly anymore. Does that make sense, that distinction between practice patience and dispositional patience? And practice patience is good because it can ultimately lead to dispositional patience. But again, not if we're just focused on the behavior. If we're just focused on the behavior, we're never going to get to dispositional patience. We have to be focused on transforming our spiritual vision. Right? The practice patience should be, let, help myself to see the goodness of the present moment. Help myself to see the goodness of sticking through with the task. Help myself to see the goodness of the silence and the solitude and not turning on the next gadget, right, to distract myself from the silence of the present moment, right? Help myself to see that and to appreciate it so that then I can learn to dwell in it gladly. We're not just about uh, fixing behavior. And I suggest that in service of love of God, love of neighbor, and love of ourselves, we must practice patience in the presence of God, primarily through the act of prayer. We need to develop patience in the presence of our neighbor, I'll say a little bit more about what that entails. And we need to develop, uh, practice patience in the presence of our present selves. So I'll say a little bit more about each of those. Patience in the presence of God. Oftentimes our impatient minds and hearts are distracted away from boring prayer by more exciting thoughts, right? Even if it's just thoughts about what needs to be done today, right? We, st- we sit down to pray, we try to be silent, we try to focus our minds on, go- on God, and we just can't get the thoughts to stop coming, right? The thoughts of the busyness of the day, right? The thoughts of the entertaining thing that might be happening later, right? The thoughts of what we're going to be doing in the next few moments, right? Um, and I, I suggest part of the reason for that is that we like the excitement, right? We, it's, we, we f- sometimes find it boring, to sit in the presence of God in the silence, right? We find it very hard. We need 
the distraction, right? The distraction helps us. Helps us to cope, right? Um, we need to develop this ability to dwell gladly in the present moment. And patience can help us to do that. And, I'm, and by practicing patience in prayer, we can actually become better at prayer and more dispositionally patient. And again, with the help of the Holy Spirit, right? We, I mean, this is a struggle, right? Do we, how do we start this, right? If, if prayer is one of the ways that we can actually practice patience and get better at patience, well, how do we get started with that if one of the ways in which we are impatient is in prayer, right? We sit down to pray and we're, we're so impatient we can't even sit down to pray and yet that's what we need to do oftentimes in order to, to develop more patience, right? The ability to dwell gladly in the presence of God. And so we need, to, we need to rely on the Holy Spirit's strength here to help us. But what we do is we... We find a good time of day. We set aside some time. We, um, as one uh, a spiritual father suggested, we maybe one way in which we can practice patience in prayer is we can think about God more throughout the day, all day long. Right? We can focus on God more throughout the day when we're at work, when we're engaged with our family at home, when we are... Um, sitting down for those moments of entertainment. We can constantly sort of keep our thoughts on God, and if we do that throughout the day, maybe those moments of focused prayer might actually be a little bit easier <laughs> to focus on God because we're, we're practiced in it, right? And we're used to it now. And as we engage in this practice of the discipline of prayer and meditation on Scripture, right, um, we can learn to sort of dwell more gladly in that present moment and not have our minds be fleeting away to uh, all of the other things that we might want to think about or do. We also need to practice patience in the presence of our neighbors. We're often so preoccupied with ourselves, with our goals, with our interests, with the things that we're about that day, right? With our to-do list that we don't take time to dwell in the presence of our neighbors, attending to their needs and interests. And that's especially true when we have little in common with our neighbors or they're otherwise hard to love, right? I mean, the biblical concept of a neighbor is not just who lives next door to you. The biblical concept of a neighbor is the person with whom you might come into contact who might have some need, a spiritual need or a physical need, right? That's your neighbor, your neighbor is the, the person who's there, who needs you. That's who your neighbor is, according to Jesus. Right? And then your neighbor is the person who's there, who's ready to help you in your need. Right? That's who your neighbor is, too. And oftentimes, our neighbors don't look like us. They don't seem much like us, right? Maybe our neighbor is in a different socioeconomic class than us, right? Maybe our neighbor is of a different ethnicity than us. Maybe our neighbor, we don't have anything in common with them. Maybe we find them even a little obnoxious, right? Maybe our neighbor is not very attractive to us. And so we find ourselves talking to the person at the grocery store, or we find ourselves engaged in a conversation with the person at the restaurant, or when we run into someone at the mailbox or stand in line with them at the post office and they start talking to us or they, we get on the plane and they start talking to us and we go, oh, I just wish this person would leave me alone. 
I've got things to think about. I've got things to do. Put on my headphones. Glenn talked about this in a sermon a couple weeks ago, right? And he's all for putting on the headphones and having some quiet time on the plane, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. Sometimes it's a good thing. Uh, Sometimes we do need to be left alone. But we also sometimes need to be able to dwell gladly in the present moment in the presence of our neighbor, even when maybe we're not having a lot of fun. (laughs) Even when maybe they're not all that interesting to us, right? It's great when people ask you about your day and what you're doing and you get to tell them all about your endeavors and your life, right? But then when the conversation turns to something about them, do you start looking at your watch, thinking, I've got I've to run, right? I don't really have time. I had time to tell you all about myself for the last 15 minutes, but now I'm really out of time. I'm sorry. That's really nice to know about that problem you're having at home. I'm sorry about that, but I've got to. I've got things to do. I've got things to think about, right? And we want to flee the present moment. We don't dwell gladly in the presence of our neighbor. And I think that's a big part of what loving our neighbor is about, right? Jesus ate. He sat down. He spent time with the tax collectors, right? With the sinners, right? Not the important people, right? He spent time with the people who really needed him, and I'll bet, it, I'll bet it wasn't always fun, <laughs> but it wasn't always entertaining. I'll bet it wasn't always exactly what he wanted to be doing at the moment, but he had learned to dwell gladly in the presence of the people he came to save. Right? We need to learn to dwell gladly in the presence of the people for whom Jesus died. And then lastly, we need to develop patience in the presence of our present selves. We're often enticed away, right? Temptation, you know, it's easy to think, oh, temptation, well, that's that thing where, you know, you've got these appetites, things like food, right, uh, or alcohol, right? That's, those are the temptations, right? Those are the things that really get you. Um, but maybe the temptations are things that, like these thoughts that make us just want to leave the present moment, move on to the next thing, right? Give up on the good work, the calling that God has called us to because it's just so hard and boring sometimes. And we need to be uh, more patient even with ourselves, with the present state of ourselves, with the stage of life that we're in, with our stage of spiritual development, right? And not just thinking, oh, I just can't wait until I'm all grown up, right? I just can't wait until I'm on to the next thing, right? One day, I'll be able to reach that next level, achieve that job, right? Get that promotion, right? Be a better parent, Be a better friend, right? I can't wait until I get to that point. I'm just tired of this person that I am right now and I don't really want to focus on this person that I am right now. Or learn to be happy. Learn to dwell gladly in in the person that I am right now, right? So I want to think of myself in these future terms, right? That person that I will be one day, that's the person I really want to be happy with, not the person I am now. And this isn't just about, you know, sort of self-esteem, making yourself feel better, right? No, that's not what this is about, right? It's about learning to dwell gladly in the present moment, dwell gladly in the fact that you know that you're a child of God, that you're one whom God loves. And to resist those temptations to uh, leave the present moment and try to run to the future.
So one of the last things I want to say is that the tempting impulses and emotions of impatience, whether they be distraction, boredom, desire for entertainment, excessive busyness. Um, I know this is, I, I mentioned something about the seven deadly sins tradition last week. I'll say something about it again today. I think we may have maybe talked about gluttony last week. Sloth is one of the seven deadly sins. And when most people hear sloth, they think laziness. They think, oh yeah, you're not doing anything, right? Um, in the theological tradition, sloth was actually a kind of sadness or aversion toward the good work that God had called you to do, right? Um, because it was just boring, right? Sort of the, 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 the picture of this was the monk who'd been called away to the monastery and was living his life in a kind of silence and solitude and meditation on scripture and tending the gardens of the monastery, right? Um, a very quiet and, and fairly boring kind of life, right? And uh, the, the monk struggling with sloth would sort of sit in his cell and listen to footsteps coming down the road, right? And think, ooh, I wonder who it might be. I wonder if they're going to bring some exciting news from the city. Uh, and, and then start thinking, you know, I'm really kind of tired of this life. Maybe I should go back to the city where things are more exciting and I could do more good work there, right? I know this is where I think God has called me to, but I really would just like to get up and leave because it's just so boring, right? I've just got nothing to do, right? And so this sort of desire to get away. Well, if that's what sloth is, it's kind of aversion to the good work that God has called us to, There's actually two different major manifestations of this. One is excessive laziness, right? Just not do anything, right? You, you don't want to engage in the good work of parenting that God has called you to do. Well, one way to avoid it is just turn on the TV, right? Turn on the football, right? And sit down and ignore what's happening around you. Well, another way to avoid the good work that God has called you to do is excessive busyness. To run away into activities, right? Got to get to the gym. Got to get that workout in. Got to go to the PTA meeting, right? Got to go do this service activity, right? We don't stop and dwell gladly in the present moment. We run off to the next thing that's going to keep us busy and keep us distracted from the good and hard work maybe that God has given us to do. So it's actually, sloth can be expressed not just in laziness, but in this excessive busyness. And we need to uh, resist all of that. And patience can help us to overcome that by reshaping our spiritual emotional vision so that we learn to delight in our present selves and our present neighbors, neighbors, and in our ever-present God. So let me start. We have uh, a bit of time left, and I have some questions that I, um, I think it might be nice for you all to discuss together. But before uh, we get to those, maybe I, maybe I should just open it up at this point and see if you have any questions for me about any of this material or any comments, um, any suggestions um, about practices that might help us with this. Yes?
That's right. Okay, good. So um, I, think, I think all of that is right, except for the part about it being new. <laughs> I think uh, this is, a, this is as, as ancient a problem as there is, right? I mean, we just, as human beings, we sort of crave excitement, right? We want something new, something different, right? And so these, these ancients thinking about the monks in the cell, right, wanting to sort of get up and leave because it's just, it's just t- tiresome, right? It's just hard work and we want a little bit more excitement and um, one, but one of the things that is new right, is, is the fact that our, our culture provides so many opportunities for us to be distracted away from maybe the good work that we've been called to do. And the good work that we've been called to do doesn't, isn't inherently boring. I mean, it's not, uh, yeah, I, I think that's an important point, right? It's not, it's not like prayer is inherently boring, right? It, it, prayer should be rich and, and deep and meaningful and communion with God, right? The God who created all this beauty with, that you see when you go outside, right? The God who loves you, right? He is the ultimate source of our deepest desires and our deepest need is to be in communion with him and so how could, how could that be boring? <laughs> how could that be boring? Well, when we learn to patience, when we learn to dwell gladly in the present moment, right, it isn't boring, right? We don't see the prayer time as, as a struggle, right, as, as difficult to get through. Um, but, uh, but we like to be easily distracted. And we have a culture that is full of distractions, right? I mean, our phones, our radios in the car, our... TVs at home, right? Our computers, right? I mean, just all of the all of the noise, visual noise, right? That we're being presented with all of the time, right? The billboards on the road. I mean, we just can't go five seconds, right? We just can't even go. You know, I I, I teach at the Air Force Academy, and sometimes I just can't get my cadets to even go fifty-three minutes to just think about something, right? I mean. For 53 minutes without trying to check your phone or text your friend or look at your laptop and check your email, right? I mean, just come on, less than an hour here, folks. Let's just sit and think about something important for a little while. And it's just, I got I to gotta move on to the next thing. I got to see what's happening in my life because it's so exciting, right? I mean, that's the, that's the and our, our culture definitely encourages that, right? Our culture breeds impatience, breeds impatience, and all of these distractions breed impatience. And so as we're thinking, you know, moving through the Lenten season, thinking about spiritual growth and spiritual formation, one of the things we need to think about is what, what things in our lives are, are breeding impatience in us, right? How can we help grow in patience and the ability to dwell gladly in the present moment and not be constantly moving on to the next thing, trying to find the next thing to entertain us, Right? Um, trying to avoid boredom at all costs, right? Because I think culture does tell us that boredom is just about the worst thing that could ever happen to you. <laughs> that you be a boring person or that you live a boring life, right? Uh, that that might be the, that's just about the worst thing, right? Our culture thinks. It's got to be exciting. It's got to be fun, right? So what's going to give you more fun? I saw your hand go up, yeah.
Yeah, good. That's, good. That's a nice suggestion that, that boredom might actually be rooted in something deeper like fear or anxiety. Um, yeah, the spiritual fathers who wrote about uh, sloth, the, the vice that I was talking about, they actually say this is one of the symptoms of sloth, is a sort of fear of eternity, fear of afterlife, um, fear, anxiety about death because you just, you just don't want to do the good work, right? You don't want to be silent and pre- present in the, in the presence of God. You don't want to stick through with the task and, and this makes you sort of uncomfortable with yourself and uncomfortable with God and with what demands you think your relationship with God might be placing on your life, right? Might be calling you to do something that maybe is less than entirely fun or entertaining, right? <laughs> um, all of the time. Uh, comfortable, right? Un- the, the discomfort of it all. Yeah. Kim? Um, so, if patience is sort of a mental and spiritual thing, is that, how do we keep moving toward the other extreme then of complacency and Okay, good. Yeah, so how do we distinguish between patience and complacency, right? I should be moving on to something else, but I, in the name of patience, I'm sort of just sitting and, 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 and waiting in the present moment, in the present activity. Yeah, no, that's a really good question. I think this is, um, yeah, that's, this, is, this is hard. I think, I think for one, on, uh, the one thing I might say is that we're not, most people, their tendency is not to be more complacent in their current activities. Most people's temptation, uh, especially in our own society, right, is sort of always encouraging you to do better and do more and entertain yourself more, right? Uh, most people's t- temptation is, is, is to the busyness and to the moving on to the next thing too quickly, right, to the impatience. Um, uh, but the, the, what you mentioned by complacency, I, I think, I think there... Um, Maybe one, one thing to, to relate to it is maybe this idea of aimlessness. I'm sort of, I, I'm, I'm sort of happy with the present moment because I don't really care what happens, right? I'm just sort of wandering through life aimlessly and I have no concerns at all. And so nothing makes me want to leave the present moment because I'm sort of satisfied with anything, right? I'm just, I'm just aimless, right? Um, the difference between that and, and Christian patience is that Christian patience should be grounded in ultimately a concern, a deep and abiding concern of love for God and love for neighbor. Right? And, and so if we're dwelling in the present moment and really truly loving God and loving neighbor in that present moment, despite maybe the impulses and the emotions that we have that might try to draw us away from it, right? that might try to draw us on to something else, um, then I think maybe, a, maybe it's okay to just dwell in that present moment a little bit longer right? and not move on to the next thing quite so quickly. Um, maybe, maybe that's okay and maybe we should aim for that right? and hope that maybe we land in the right spot. Right? Uh, aim for this uh, sort of uh, less impatience. Right? Um, because we don't want to be aimless. We don't want to be just sort of wandering through life, happy with anything, glad in the present moment because we don't care what happens. Um, we want to be dwelling gladly in the present moment out of love for God and love for neighbor, right? Out of an appreciation 
to God for our current present circumstances and for his love for us in the, in the present moment and out of appreciation for his love for our neighbors in the present moment. Uh, that's really where patience comes into play. And um, I think uh, that's, the, that's the difference, right, between aimlessness and, and uh, Christian, Christian patience. Yeah, I saw a hand. Um, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and it's not like patience has to be in silence and solitude and meditation. I mean, it, 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 that's when we oftentimes experience the, the impulses of impatience, right, to try to draw us out of those moments. But, but, but we can also learn to be patient in our busyness, right? I mean, there's a, there's a kind of impatience even in the midst of, of busyness where you've got lots of things going on. And you just think, I just can't wait until all this is over, Right? We had, we had a day so, sort of like that yesterday. My, we started off the day at 5 a.m., getting up, getting up to Denver. My son was competing in a spelling bee up there, and we were up there half the day, and then we drove back down, and his basketball team was having a tournament. And so we made it in time for the last two games of the tournament, and we got home. What time did we get home? 9.30 last night, 9 o'clock last night? Yeah, he's, yeah he, he really wanted to sleep in this morning and not come <laughs> to church. Poor guy, we made him. Uh, come, but you know, it's, it's a very, very busy, busy day, and we have a four-year-old and a one-year-old that had to go along for the ride all day long, and it was a very long and very tiring and very busy day, and um, even that kind of busyness, right, can, can lead to impatience, right? I just can't wait until we're out of this stage of life when we've got so much busyness and we've got these young children that we have to cart all over, right? Um, but, but, you know, learning to dwell gladly in those moments, right? This is something I have to remind myself. Learn to dwell gladly in these, these bi- very busy moments. Um, uh, uh, very, uh, in some ways, entertaining and distracting moments, but uh, uh, um, learning to dwell gladly even in those can be an important part of, of learning patience, yes? That's right. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, so learning to see the, the beauty and be grateful for the goodness of, of the present moment, even when we might be tempted to be impatient with it. I just wish this traffic would get going so that I could get to the next thing I'm supposed to do, right? I'm busy, busy, busy. I've got to move on to the next thing. Instead, dwell gladly in the, the times of quiet and peace and don't try to distract ourselves with entertainment through all of those, right? 
uh, maybe have a meaningful conversation with God or a meaningful conversation with someone else, right, at home or right, uh, someone else who might be in the car with you. I think that's, that's the idea, right? And that we learn to dwell gladly in those moments, recognizing that God has put us in this life and that he wants, to, he wants us to enjoy life. He wants us to enjoy this world he's created, but he also has good work that he's called us to do. He wants us to show his love to others, Right? And to express our love for him. And we need to be reminding ourselves of that throughout the day, right? Through, throughout any of these moments that might uh, tempt us toward impatience and see them as opportunities uh, to grow. And they might not just be, you know, 10, 15 minutes stuck in the car, sitting in the car waiting to get somewhere. It, it might be a whole period of our life. It might be five years of our life. We just can't wait to get this over with, right? But instead, dwell gladly in that present moment because guess what? That is your life, <laughs> right? I was in graduate school, and one of the temptations when you're in graduate school is to sort of always be thinking that, like, this isn't really my life yet, <laughs> right? I'm not really there yet, right? This is just sort of the thing that I'm doing to get ready for the life that I'm going to have one day, right? Um, but I had a son who grew up largely, while I was in graduate school. I had a wife that I was married to in graduate school. I had friends in a church that were an important part of my communal life as a Christian and invested in my spiritual growth and I in theirs while I was in graduate school. And so it was very tempting to think of it as this is a period of my life that's not really my life yet. I haven't really started yet. <laughs> um, but no, that was a big part of my life and it was an important part of my life and a growing part of my life where I grew in my love, love for God and love for neighbor. And um, and so, so whether it's 20 minutes stuck in traffic or 10 years stuck in a job that you maybe are tempted to be impatient with or a stage of life that you're tempted to be impatient with, um, learning to dwell gladly in those moments is a way of helping us to, to love, helping us to love God and, and, and to be grateful to God uh, for all he's given us and to love others, the others that are around us and who are part of our lives in those moments. So we are, um, we are about out of time. Uh, I had uh, a couple of discussion questions, but I think maybe I'll just leave them with you as, as things to think about uh, as you go on uh, and out this week. Um, one is that I want you to think about uh, this challenge that um, Glenn has, has made uh, to us all to invite a neighbor over for dinner during the Lenten season. And I want to say, if you did that already, did you find that it was difficult? Were you at all tempted by impulses to flee the present moment, right? Uh, or were you like me um, when he said, invite a neighbor over for dinner, did you immediately like, think of that one neighbor you get along with and think, yeah, I'd like to have them over for dinner. That would be great. We'd have a fun time, right? Um, or did you think, well, who's a neighbor that maybe I'm less inclined to? think I would enjoy inviting over for dinner. Maybe that's the neighbor that I should invite over for dinner, and maybe then I should hear them talk and, and be willing to dwell gladly in the present moment with them. Show them love by listening, by attending to them, right? Showing them that you care about them by being in their presence for an extended period of time, even though it might be uncomfortable, right? And there might be many more things you might rather do um, so I want you to think about that. I want you to think about if you've already done it, how was the experience? Did you find that you were sort of tempted by impatience with the moment? Or, um, and, and think about if you haven't done it yet, think about doing this and maybe think about 
using this as a spiritual practice to actually develop the strength of patience, right? Patience in love for the neighbor, right? Learning to dwell gladly in their presence in the moment. And then, uh, other than that, right, uh, just any other specific things that you might practice, uh, that you might do to practice patience. And again, not just um, a sort of generic patience, right? Like I said, you can use patience and put it to all kinds of bad uses, right? Um, but but a, a spiritual patience, a Christian patience, right? A patience that's rooted in a desire to love God and to love neighbor. Right? Dwell gladly in the present moment out of love for God and out of love for neighbor. What are some things that you could do? Maybe this suggestion that you made about if you're stuck in traffic, you set as a time to turn off the radio and just pray, right? Just Thank God, right? Or just look out the window and just enjoy the beauty. I mean, it's not hard to find beauty here in Colorado Springs, right? Uh, uh, just enjoy the beautiful creation that God has made and dwell gladly in that present moment. Be grateful for uh, the slowness, if it is slowness, <laughs> the interruption, if it's an interruption, or the busyness, if that's what you are given to deal with this week, right? Learn to dwell gladly in all of those uh, um, present moments. So I'd like to end uh, the way that we did last time by saying this Lenten prayer together. This is a prayer that we prayed as a church on the first Sunday of Lent. Um, we prayed it last week together as a class, and, I'll, and we'll do it again next week. Um, but let's close our time by, uh, by, by asking God to help us in this process. Almighty God, whose blessed Son was led by the Spirit to be tempted by Satan, come quickly to help us who are assaulted by many temptations, and as you know the weaknesses of each of us, let each one find you mighty to save. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. All right, thank you.